crazy. One of our friends is an excellent uh, elk guide, and people pay him a lot of money for to get them within uh, a range to take a shot on an elk, usually with a bow and arrow. So you got to get, you know, 20 yards away from a wild bull elk is a New Testament miracle. But he will get them there, and he says it's crazy. These people have paid thousands of dollars. We've hiked for three days. And when we get there and the shot's there, they're waiting for me to give them permission. And I'm sitting there, and I'm whispering in their ear, I'm like, okay, shoot it, shoot it. You got to shoot it. Welcome to Season 2 of the Live My Dream Podcast. I am Brendan Abernathy, a singer-songwriter and performing artist from Georgia who is traveling around the United States of America playing shows, making new friends, spreading my music, and hopefully a little bit of joy along the way. And I am undoubtedly living my dream. On this podcast, I interview quote-unquote everyday world changers who have delayed someday and decided to make it today. On this episode, I sit down with Tim Fells, founder of the most delicious place on the internet, Ungrocery. He's an adventurer, a wild man, an encourager, a hilarious individual, and one of the best storytellers I've ever met. Hiya, this is Brendan. Thank you for joining us today on the Live My Dream podcast from the inside of Patches. Tim, tell us what that means. Patches is my 1980 VW Vanagon Westphalia pancake type 2 flat engine. And it was my home for the better portion of the year. And now is my just most beloved thing I own. If the house is burning down, we'd have a problem because Patches is the house. Speaking is Mr. Timothy Fells. And so I'm going to take a brief moment to uh, take a mention of our sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by Malin Linder, um, a legend in the streets, a, a man who is buff beyond his years, a man who is wise beyond his years, bilingual, pre-med, going to med school soon, probably moving to a Spanish-speaking country. And uh, Tim, what would you like to say about Malin, our sponsor here? I mean, really, I'm, I'm here because of the sponsor. Uh you know, he's paying me in things far greater than any monetary value. Gold and silver cannot buy what he pays. It's so true. If you don't know Malin, uh, check him out in the show notes. But all jokes aside, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing on grocery, and how you got to... Now you're living in a house, but you went through the van to get to the house. Yeah, and I would say that uh, I... I the van and specifically like living on the road when I was doing it, I told all my friends, this is the only home I've ever known. Uh, I was totally addicted and there's this strange thing that happens like to do something like that. You really have to jump through some societal hurdles, um, and personal ones. It took me a while of living in a van to be okay with the identity of the guy who's living in his van. And then once that happened, I realized like, Oh, like people don't give a rip that you're doing that. In fact, a lot of them kind of want some adventure like that. And it was like, you spent how many days like being self-conscious about being the guy living in a van. 
just be the guy living a van. Uh, that it is actually really hard to come back and reintegrate into society. Um, and I do live uh, under a roof now. Um, and I, I do conduct business with my best friends. Uh, and I would recommend doing that. It's a little more challenging, but world's more rewarding. And um, I frequently tell them the way this whole deal ends isn't like, in flames or regrets I get back in the van and I just drive off and I stay on the road so that's the dream long term you know good question with a woman maybe (laughs) yesterday uh, a woman who I respect very much asked she has a great family good business great marriage has man just an incredible life she said, I just don't understand why you're not married. And I said, man, it's it's kind of hard to convince a girl to live in a van with you. And if you have to convince them, you don't want that. You want them to want to do that on their own, and y'all just ride together. How old are you? 31. Oh, baby. The old three zero. You are old. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I think I got at least four more years before I would get married. At least. And I don't I, – I just – there's just some things I'm not willing to compromise right now. I will say on the road, I met. Also, if you hear any cars in the background, pause. we're from inside a van. No, you don't need to pause. It's just we're inside a van. Yeah, we are inside patches. Uh, I will say this. On the road, I met some folks. And there's a big community of, of people van lifing. Uh, and I met some uh, couples that were doing, uh, that lifestyle. And I thought it was beautiful. Um, I tried it. I had two separate women at two separate times. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, one point, one was my sister. So that doesn't really count. Okay. (laughs) And then one was, uh, but it, it was an awesome thing to get to share with a sibling. Now let let me clarify. There is a top bunk and a bottom bunk in Tim's van. Yeah, I might be from Georgia, but I'm not from Watch Alabama. <laughs> oh man! Also, we're in Austin, Texas, so we're not in either Georgia or Alabama. I feel like we should clarify. We could be anywhere, man. Just a drive away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another was a girlfriend, a love interest, if you will, and um. Yeah, van life wasn't for us. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like one thing you've dealt with and managed to overcome, both in lifestyle of living out of a van and also having to do with romance, is watching a lot of your friends do something different, be that move into an apartment in a city or get married while you have continued in being single and living out of a van driving across the country. So how have you dealt with insecurity in comparison, and how have you grown? Let's let's go to comparison first. I think that's just one of the most debilitating mentalities you can have, uh, comparing to others. And I've been very fortunate in that most of my friends are very honest with me. And... I have friends that get paid a lot of money to do a little bit of work by some of the big tech companies. 
and it's not like it's a they also spend money going to counseling sessions and things like that. Uh, so I don't struggle with comparison to others very much at all. But I think uh, with with comparison to the things I used to do or the things I not even have, but just different things, I think I can get lost in that. Like, man, when I was 22, I was doing this thing. And when I... And I'm kind of different. I think people do have regrets. And I like to try to really define those. As far as comparison, if you're struggling with that, don't you dare do it. I guarantee if you got in whoever you're comparing yourself, if you got in their head, you wouldn't find any. It's not sunshine and roses and all that. How do you keep that mindset? Um, Good question. I think if you walk in a room your natural inclination is to kind of like, oh, who's looking at me? And if you just look around and realize everyone's doing that, then you kind of get liberated and be like, okay, I just won't do that. No need to compare. And I think that like a simple thing of, hey, don't think about your sorry self right now will liberate you from such a thing. And we'll like, it's just a better way to live. Great word. <laughs> yeah, thanks. What about insecurity? The challenge in something like this, um, there's this weird thing that happens, um, and a lot of your insecurity is, is <laughs> as weird as this sounds, but it's rooted in financial insecurity. And you can't afford to do the same things they can. Like, literally, you can't. Oh, we're... And it comes up, especially if you're from the South, uh, this bachelor party and wedding and this and that. And it's like, you just really can't afford to do that stuff. It gets really convoluted because you put a lot of your worth into your work. And if that doesn't pay you enough to be able to afford to do these other things, you feel insecure. And that this is a really fun exercise to do, but let me just give you a hundred dollars and you go out and buy something. It's not going to make you worth anymore when you bring it home. And I think sometimes you just got to say no. And, and you got to realize like most people realize you're fucking broke. Sorry for dropping. No, I'm into it. Okay. (laughs) I've been wanting to put an explicit on this podcast for so long. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad I'm the one. That's just because our sponsor allows it. Um, In fact, he encourages it. Yeah. Uh, Most people realize that. And so I would also say some of my favorite um, personalities have come from the places of, you know, they had no nothing. They came off of welfare programs or government subsidies or something and now they're you know worth their net worth is is uh striking so i would who are you talking about uh let's say we can go over conor mcgregor was on welfare before his fighting career took off and he was a plumber's apprentice the most interesting man in the world dosaki's commercial was living in his truck as a washed up nobody actor in his 50s got a call from his agent for a commercial said I don't want to do commercials but I need the money so I'll take it 
Um, Alexander McQueen, who was the great, you know, one of the, probably the greatest fashion designer uh, before a some tragic bout with depression and depression won. But he was on welfare and was using that just to pay rent, just so he'd keep doing shows. So, um, my advice is to keep your cost structure low and just create work on that thing and don't worry about don't worry about the big bucks don't worry about the big trips don't worry about having the most beautiful instagram feed of all the places you go that's a exercise in futility keep the cost structure low and build that thing and if it works, you'll you won't be financially insecure. Your securities will be in. Do people love me? Do they care about me? Do they just want my money? Do they just want what I can offer them? And you'll be dealing with other insecurities. But for most people, when they're starting out, most of their insecurity is rooted in that. I'm not getting paid what I think this is worth. I must not be worth something. Struggling with boredom, looking for something fun to do, feeling like you just want to get out of the house, listen to this podcast. Man, oh man, do I have the option for you. The Burrito Challenge. The single best day of the year. We're talking five burritos, four amazing activities, a day full of fellowship and fun. You will make new friends. You will eat until you don't want to eat anymore. You will have a great time. It's a partnership as old as time. Brendan Abernathy and the Burrito Challenge. And this year it is tentatively planned for July 25th in Atlanta. And there could be more locations and more dates coming your way. Don't believe me? Check out the Burrito Challenge at theburritochallenge.com or on their incredible Instagram page at Burrito Challenge. Hope to see you there and keep eating. Speaking of creating, why don't you tell us what you're creating right now? So we're building the marketplace for delicious quality food straight from the source it'll include home and health products as well um but it's just the most delicious place on the internet wow and yeah easily uh and it it when i think of this and talk about it i like i think we're in the pre-dawn era of this thing like the sun's still coming up it's i I can see it over the horizon uh and and the van was a big part of it i literally drove around the entire u.s meeting farmers fishermen foragers foodies of all types and just got to eat my way through america and this place is big and bad and beautiful and so delicious what i think is really cool is you're saying foodies but when i think of foodies i think of Pauline's restaurant in Savannah. Oh, that makes me a foodie. But it sounds like your definition of foodie is different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I'm talking about is going to a ranch, picking up bison meat right off the ranch, getting some potatoes in Idaho, and going up to the high plains of Oregon with a bunch of Dutch people you just met and cooking a big feast in this van. And it's like all this stuff just came from right around here. And literally getting to introduce this group of Dutch to the most American protein you can get, American buffalo. <laughs> I mean, that's being a foodie. Um, and I think one 
I love a nice restaurant. And if you go to I, I, the restaurant scene in Asheville is insane. And that's a great place because like one thing you won't find in Asheville, North Carolina is a chain restaurant because that town won't have it. But it, the food scene there is way bigger than the population. Um, and I think Austin has good restaurants. So I'm a foodie in that definition, but like re- really gets me more excited is let me take it from right where it's from. So what's your two favorite stories from van life in terms of food and maybe conversations with farmers or foragers or hunters? My, uh, favorite, I think conversation was, uh, outside of Asheville, North Carolina, a guy named Chris Parker of Asheville fungi. And he has basically been making a living as a mycologist since he was 17 years old. What's a mycologist? Uh, the the simple man's term is a mushroom guy. And nice. He's been making money in mushrooms since he was about 17. And he is not formally trained. And I've been foraging morel mushrooms with my uncle for just over 10 years now. Every spring and I that is I love doing that. He so so I feel like I'm above average a hobbyist, which is just above an amateur, but not a professional. That's where I like to sit with most things. But you're definitely a shroomer. The culinary type. Yeah. And uh, I, I sat down, talked, spoke with him, and I recorded the whole thing. And within two minutes, he was speaking over my pay grade. I couldn't understand. I mean, he was at another level. But it was such a fascinating conversation because I, I realized, one, he was very intelligent. Two, he could be making a living any way he wanted to. He's so passionate about this. He said, "He, I, I'm going to mess up the dates, but he, he said, man, like humans first planted grain at this time, but the first recorded known instance of a mushroom wasn't that long ago. Let's call it 600 years as opposed to 8,000 years. He's like, we've been farming for 8,000 years. Again, these numbers are a little off, but we've only been in the in the mushroom game for like 800 years. And when you think of that in the grand scheme of human history, you never know when the next breakthrough is going to come. You never know when what you're going to find is going to change the whole thing for someone because we're pretty young as a species in mushrooms. And he really had me going. I was like, so what's your advice to anyone starting out? And after all that, his advice, he thought for one second and he said, always stay an amateur. Excuse me? He goes, man, I read all the experts, but what happens is once you become an expert, you try to maintain that title of being an expert and you become afraid to experiment. You become afraid to be wrong. You become afraid to make a mistake. But if you're an amateur, you can make all the mistakes you want and you can do all the experiments you want and you might find the actual breakthrough. And so based on that advice, I'll be an amateur the rest of my life and whatever I'm doing. That's awesome. Another story just for food. kicks. Um, man, the food story that is easily my favorite is with the trout, which was I was up near Lake Superior, uh, this little Indian fishing town called Munising. Had a friend with me, Chef Jay, though he's not a culinary chef, but Chef Jay, and we went hiking all day. 
and we get off the hike. Uh, we went on this island in Lake Superior, got sworn by mosquitoes. We get off, and it's like the sun's about to set. And I, I'm like, man, I, I better find some food on this trip, or my business partner is gonna be like pretty upset with me. So I start driving and see a fish house. Go to this fish house, talk to this lady, and she like jazzed up. I tell her what I'm doing, and oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I walk out, I'm like I don't know. I see another fish house, and there's like six guys sitting around drinking beer, and there's beer cans everywhere. And I'm like, this is where we need to be all day. <laughs> so we pull up in patches. And you can think all these fishermen see this baby blue VW van rolling up. And you got, and then this long haired dude from Austin steps out. And you got to think they're like, who is this ninny? You know? Well, I walk up to them and I try some of his smoked trout. I'm like, I don't really even like fish. <laughs> this was the best, one of the best meats I've ever consumed. So I start really asking them questions. And before long, he's like, well, if you're that interested, you just wait till the last boat comes in. I was like, okay. Now, what I did not understand at the time was there was a commitment there of a few hours. And you always had to be drinking a beer. So we proceed to get rip roaring drunk. And they drink Blatt's beer, which no one, yeah, no one knows what Blatt's is. It's one of the historic Milwaukee breweries. And I think they're the... It's a regional beer now. It's only in that area. And I think really they're the ones keeping it going. These guys drink enough beer to keep a company sustained? Yeah, actually. That's a lot of beer. You open, they like, there's a beer fridge. You open it and it's literally a fridge full of one type of beer. It's kind of like Homer Simpson. It's good uh, beer? No, it's cheap piss <laughs> beer. So I love it. <laughs> uh, and you know what? His trout. Uh, he smokes in a smokehouse he built about 30, 40 years ago when he was a kid with his father. And now he's over 50. And uh, I've been able to serve at our last two annual dinners here in Austin to, you know, almost 300 people. Uh, and we're the first people he's ever shipped with. Um, and I love that story. And I, I that's awesome. Yeah. And I love working with uh, Captain Ron and really his family. I made one mistake. Um, he told me he'd built that uh, smokehouse years ago and that his father had done this. And I asked him, well, how long have you and your family been doing this? Now, what I did not know is that to catch a fish, catch a trout in Lake Superior and sell it, you have to have a commercial license. And to obtain that commercial license, you have to be of Native American descent. I didn't know that. So I asked him, how long have you and your family been doing this? And he put his hand on my shoulder and goes, before years showed up on this land. <laughs> no. Pretty awesome. That's epic. Yeah. And so we became fast That's fun, friends. too. Yeah, it's like a fun answer because you could have, you know. Oh, yeah. Usually when I call him to order more trout, he insults me for five minutes. And then. That's when you know your friends. Yeah. And then I, I just sit there and take it. And then we. We place the order. So it's great doing business with them. <laughs> That's the kind of phone call you want to place. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. for sure. When you were driving, how did you find these people? Um, I wish I could tell you there's a formula, but it was like the most pure free form. Well, it doesn't sound like there's a formula, so that's why I'm curious. Like, yeah. were you just driving down and you saw this smoke billowing from the shores of Lake Superior? So you were like, eh. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, if we could try to put a 
process on it. It was use people skills to find what the area is known for. Stop in a diner. Hey, what, what's the good food around here? And I'm not talking like to go eat. A place like Asheville, you can go to one of those good restaurants, and they're going to have, usually on the menu or the wait staff's going to know which farms these came from. And so in those, you got to trust the chefs, man. They have their pick of the litter. And so you can find that place. You can find the best food in a town like that, you know, like that. When you're off the way off the beaten path, you kind of just freewheel it and ask people, you know, are y'all, anyone selling any food that I could cook? And then it's, uh, this farm or this. And in small towns, everyone knows what's the best, and they know who's cutting corners. How'd you pick where to go? I spent maybe one hour planning the whole route. And it was a mixture of iconic, <laughs> iconic American places, New York City, uh, the Grand Canyon. Lots of good farms in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you got to feed all those all those people somehow, right? Uh, Grand Canyon National Parks, and then places I would never go otherwise. That are way out, you know, the Upper Peninsula. I don't, you don't go to the Upper Peninsula. Of Michigan? Correct. You don't just say, oh, let me drive. So I was like, because I'd never go, I got to go. And there's a national forest there, so I can just camp there, and I'll see what's around. And um, if you've ever read Jack Kerouac's On the Road, or maybe you kids listen to audiobooks, that him and his friend Neil talk about, like, you know, they're that beat generation. So, that man, we need to go to this and really, like, dig the scene, man. We can go there and dig this and dig that. And I think that was pretty uh influential like let me just go to the upper peninsula and let's just dig it man what's a place you went that's not on most people's beaten paths that you think is a necessity oh i hesitate to say because then if people start going there <laughs> yeah it becomes austin <laughs> yeah um i man i think hatteras north carolina it's great it's way down the outer banks and you have to go on this beautiful coastal highway drive um there's a lot once you cross over the mississippi and go out to the west things get bigger and better and badder and as far as the town goes i love du bois wyoming and it's like what jackson hole is minus all the tourism and people so it's pretty still like a mountain town um i would say there's one for each coast. And then New Mexico, but I don't want to give away too much because I don't want people track. New Mexico and Idaho are the two hidden places in this country that are gorgeous and f- like full of great adventures and exploring that I think are still pretty undiscovered. Lewis and Clark, Fells and Daniel. <laughs> uh, I don't know his last name. Gwen, Fells and Gwen. Fels and Gwen. He would love that. I'll I'll send them this uh, audio just for that one. Clip. Okay, good. After these conversations, how did you take them and apply them to Ungrocery? Which, by the way, the name of Tim's company is Ungrocery. Yeah, that's a really good question. And for anyone who's starting to do something, you're going to learn that it's quite a process. So that conversation was different month one, then month three, then month six. Month one, I'm gung-ho. I'm doing this. I'm conquering the world. Hey, I want to sell you food. I want to get you on the platform. I want to do this, this, and this. Get someone, and then 
we'd move through the process while also maintaining life on the road. And I didn't always appreciate my um, handling of that relationship after meeting them. So by month like six, I'm saying, hey, listen, here's the big picture of what I'm building. And I have to get a few things in order so I can so that I can honor this relationship. And I'll reach out to you when those things are in order. And that was healthier. Now, I got some people on, but the whole like tech craze of move fast and break things does not work in relationships. And really the business we're doing is a relationship business and, and foods foods the end game delivery product but we're managing relationships and so that that is what i learned on the trip and uh you know coming back to austin we've been able to do events we do one in the summer our annual dinner which is honestly my favorite night of the year just above i'm from augusta so christmas is third masters is above Christmas. <laughs> wow. And then and then now because of this, the annual dinner is just above Masters. But it, it, Christmas used to be second and Masters first. <laughs> now this annual dinner is kind of notched up there. Uh, and that's been, a, yeah, its own experience. In between that, we've done these underground dinners and private events. And so one thing that's helped is calling these folks or emailing them and saying, hey, I want to serve your meal, your your food at this meal in Austin. Let's let's make it happen and keeping the relationship going that way, as opposed to I'm going to sell your food, which we will, especially come 2020. But we're really building tools to empower them to sell it. And I can't build those tools. Now we have a team of folks who are building those things. And yeah, that was really my goal in coming back is, all right, let's put together a team. Daniel and I have a great working dynamic. We need people that are more talented than us, which doesn't take much. And, uh, man, it's been an amazing working (laughs) dynamic with this, uh, group of developers that have become friends. And I hope, I just hope to be working with them for years and years. Mm. And I, and that, those are the relationships we're looking for. Let's start something. And my, I'm playing the long game when all these, with all these relationships and playing the long game. Do you ever feel behind? All the time. All the time. Um, there's trade-offs, right? With this company, we could go raise a good amount of money, especially with this team we have now. I mean, they've they've taken a company public before. So I th- with this team, I feel confident in the work we've done together, in the idea and the concept, and then – Really, most people are investing in a team. We could in Austin, we could go and we could raise a big seed round. Uh, but there's trade offs, right? Like all of a sudden now, I have to make decisions based on the desires of these investors. Desires, not facts, not truth. Desire, and I have to manage those relationships too. And I think with what we're building, we have the opportunity where we don't have to do that. Now it means you have to work harder and move slower. So that's what we're doing. So yeah, I feel behind all the time in everything I'm doing, but that's also why I don't need to set an alarm most mornings. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's good fuel, um, and it it teaches you the value of a dollar. When you say you don't need to set an alarm, do you mean 
that that gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, yeah. Okay, not that you just get to sleep as late as you want to. No, no. Yeah, clarifying. If, if I did that, I'd be called a drummer, and those guys can oh. sleep all day. <laughs> not you, Michael Morgan. I love you. Yeah. One of my best friends uh, is a drummer, and so I always had these good drummer jokes for him. So they've become the brunt of a lot of my humor. Tim also has a bit about baseball, that they've been on strike since 1997, and he's not going to break. He has a straight face, and he's going to act like he doesn't know that I'm kidding. I, you know, Brennan shows up, and he starts talking about the Braves. And I, I, I mean, I haven't been to Turner Field in forever, and I kind of like uh, Fulton County Stadium even better. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know um, if they're coming back and – Okay, anyways, Tim, uh, we're going to take a song transition here. Which one of my songs do you want to play? Dude, the possum one. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll record it and put it on here. <laughs> the possum one's the greatest one of all time. <laughs> There's a pile of possums in the fireplace. Maybe I'm going blind. They're playing dead like firewood. There's a fire burning in the old fourth ward. Maybe I'm going blind. It's the fourth day of fireworks. Maybe you're not. One thing I wanted to ask you that I did not. Was it ever scary just walking up to Captain Ron and whoever else and striking up a conversation? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few reasons. And I'll say this too. There were some conversations that I didn't have because I was overwhelmed with insecurity. And so for all the individualistic heroism uh, that this story could be like, oh, no, like there's a lot of days where you just fail. You just don't got it that day and you're not going to get it. And so uh, a, a few things I realized, one, I was the website and all the stuff we were using and stuff I'd built. So literally on the trip, I would call Daniel and be like, I am technologically insecure. Going to tell these people we're building this most delicious place on the internet. I built it and it's, it, I mean, it's a piece of crap. It's like in the musician world, you go back and listen to your first song. Mm. You don't want to play that. So bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is my first website that I've built, and it needs some serious functionality. It's not like I can do a Shopify store, which is a great company and great product. Um, but it, it was just more complex than what their solutions could solve. And so I did a lot of hacking it together. So that there was that insecurity. And then there was the, oh, that's four or five people, and it's just me. And, like, this person has done a lot of things. What can I, what can I say to them that I can deliver on? And so, yeah, there's a lot of those. Uh, I found that when I had friends come with me on the trip, it made me more bold. And mainly because I would tell them, here's what I'm going to do. And then we get there and I was like, well, I got to do it because, you know, Chef Jay is going to laugh at me. Or sometimes they're more of the initiative like, oh, you should go talk to that guy. It's crazy. It's crazy. One of our friends is an excellent uh, elk guide. And people pay him a lot of money for to get them within uh, a range to take a shot on an elk, usually with a bow and arrow. So you got to get, you know, 
20 yards away from a wild bull elk is a New Testament miracle. But he will get them there, and he says it's crazy. These people have paid thousands of dollars. We've hiked for three days. And when we get there, and the shot's there, they're waiting for me to give them permission. And I'm sitting there, and I'm whispering in their ear. I'm like, okay, shoot it. Shoot it. You got to shoot it. And he told me that story, and it kind of changed my perspective on things. Of I was the same person. I'm there. There's Captain Ron. There's so-and-so. And I almost needed someone in my ear saying, shoot it, shoot it, go have the conversation. And just that story sometimes will come in my mind and it's like some of the friends saying, go do it. And sometimes, you know, you need to say, Malin, go talk to that girl. Go get her number. Yeah, Malin. Yeah. <laughs> or someone else. I just used a random name in that example. Yeah. Uh, also the sponsor of this podcast name. Oh, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, we need that. And uh, I think that's the beautiful thing of friendship. It, the, the easy thing to do is say, oh, I'm lacking, I'm insecure, I'm a piece of crap. Okay, great. The, other, the, the flip side of that is knowing we need good friends, we need people in our lives. You can be that for someone else, and someone's going to be that for you, and that's, you know, that's the way you make something bigger than yourself. That is a powerful anecdote. The thank elk you. thing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank um His name's Mackie. Mackie, the elk guide. Where does he work? You know, he just moved to Fort Worth. Texas. Are there elk in Fort Worth? No, but this guy can hunt anything. <laughs> anything. <laughs> um Do you want to talk about next steps for ungrocery? I'd almost rather check back in a year from now and be like, all right, here, we had this conversation. I think it'd be a, a little futile to talk cool. about. Heck yeah. What I do want to ask you about is um, you're the co-founder of an organization on the University of Georgia's campus, uh, Truck. The organization is called Slam. It is uh, very well known on campus. They do a great job of kind of giving an alternative party scene to a lot of people that might not be comfortable in the main party scene at the University of Georgia. Um, what would you say to those guys if you had anything to say to them? And then also, you clearly have always had this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. Where do you think that came from? And what do you think is the defining characteristic inside of you that keeps you moving? To the guys that are doing Faisalim, that are in college living in the house, being directors. If there's one thing I could tell you, and only one thing you hear in this whole thing, is you got to go bigger. Like when you're in the thought. They don't need to hear that. No. When you're in the planning, when you're in it, and you're like, should we do this or this? Like push harder because what's going to happen? You're, you're going to graduate. You're going to go on. You're going to do something else. And that – what you're living right now is going to be a chapter in your life and that, that chapter is going to close and you're going to the next thing. And you're going to wish, man, we should have done this. I kind of talked about regrets earlier. You're going to regret that, that you didn't go bigger. You will. Some of my favorite things we did were the most terrifying things. Like when we did our first ever stunt with Josh Hart and made him fly over the crowd. Well, 
the year before, Will Harper duct taped him to the treehouse. And when we were doing that, it we never said yes and we never said no to it. It was an idea, but it was too big. And then like literally the day before the party, they're like, so are we going to do that or not? Because we never said no. And it's like, let's give it a try. And it worked out. It was great. And that took us into stunts. And then we made him fly over the crowd. And we did that. Yeah, so I would tell you like, you won't regret pushing the limits. Now, stay within your capabilities. Don't kill someone. Don't do something stupid. But flirt with stupidity. Um, and I've kind of taken that to new heights, literally like climbing a mountain, the weather's turning, and asking, hey, is this is this stupid? Yeah, we've done plenty of stupid things already. <laughs> but we're not close to death. And so... You know, that's a very drastic example. But, yeah, that's what I tell you guys. Um, and it's a very rewarding experience. And I think it will uh, lend you – it will be a exercise that will we'll pay dividends later in life and, and work together really hard and have the conversations when you work together to make sure your relationships are, are growing and strengthening and you're not just throwing events together. Mm. That's probably the most important – I know I said the one thing is go bigger, but really like have the conversations to keep your relationships healthy because those won't end when this chapter ends. Those you will have for the rest of your life. And probably the best thing I've heard in the last year is a guy who's been like a mentor to me. He goes, imagine having a friendship for 50 years. It's like, it sounds good, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it sounds great. I'm Me and Daniel, we're going to do that. And he's like, it takes a lot of work. And I, I, that's what I would tell you is do the work to have healthy relationships with the people you love the most. An entrepreneurial spirit and the one internal factor that keeps you going. The uncertainty of it all. I grew up a very shy, quiet kid and had three older siblings um, that were were and still are very talented except one he was smart and everything but man he was a hell raiser um and so he steamrolled this wide path as far as behavior goes because he got in so much trouble ended up getting a five-year prison sentence i mean he he has more felonies than your favorite rapper we'll just put it like that uh and is he gonna hear this podcast Hopefully. I mean, now he's this militant vegan, and so he doesn't really get along with my uh, meat-eating tendencies. Uh, And it's really been healthy for our uh, brotherhood, brothership, uh, to have this good pushback. I'm very proud of him. He's got out of prison. He's married, has a baby girl, successful business and real estate portfolio. Uh, He's the comeback kid. But growing up, he was a huge hellraiser. and it kind of gave me this, I didn't want to do that. It wasn't glamorous to me that much. There's consequences for your actions is what it taught me. But I was a shy, quiet kid. And I think the uncertainty of entrepreneurship is what draws me to it because I just didn't know you were allowed to do that. Hmm. And it's fascinating to me. And like even, I didn't know I, I could, drop this engine and with the help of Daniel, this guy named Carlos, rebuild it and get it running and then take it around the country. Like it's could can we do that? And I think the best 
entrepreneurship doesn't start with answers. It starts with questions. What if? Is it possible? And I think that's what draws me to it and, and keeps me going. Can we sell out these tickets and get people to show up and ship this food in from all over the place and throw a big party? Yeah, we, we can do that. And then eventually it becomes kind of, you know, I, I remember when we were doing Fislam stuff, like Chris would be like, what if we did this? And our literal question would be, would anyone show up? That's where we were. <laughs> would, would, are wow. people going to come? Yeah. And literally those early years, we had all these guys doing this. I would look at them and I'd say, what if only one person comes? Would all this work be worth it for that one person? And I'm ever, yeah, it would be. All right, let's go ahead. Cause that's who might show up. And over time it got momentum and, you know, to these younger guys, you inherited the results of a lot of people's hard work. And a lot of guys gave four or five years of their life to this thing so that people would show up. So yeah, the uncertainty is kind of what draws and it's that in itself is highly addicting, not knowing and then it going better than your expectations. Wow. Nice. Transition winding down the podcast here. The last segment, did you listen to any of them? No. Okay. Winding down the podcast here. Um, last segment. First thing, uh, that I want to ask you about is something you said earlier. Regrets. You said you think people have them. So obviously you have them. I definitely have them. What is, if you want to share, like what's a regret you have or what's a regret you would guard against in the future? The regret I'd guard against, and I would encourage anyone who listens to this to guard against, is having right relationships. You can call it conflict resolution, call it whatever you want, but the things like forgiveness, um, expressing gratitude, uh, telling someone you love that you love them. Those are the things you don't get back. Um, I think there's minor ones. Like, you know, it, it, it's weird. There, There's a lot of guys, I think it's natural for guys to get emotional when they talk about their fathers. And I think there's, there's usually some sort of... Um, call it strife or conflict there's some sort of friction there it's just natural and I always am telling my friends with their father go play that round of golf with him I know you're pissed off about something he did when you were 16 so am I but like go play that round of golf because he's not going to be here or his health's going to go down or you're just going to wish you did it and I've had my, my dad is still living his health has declined and uh, I look back on myself. Me and him had a major split when I was in college over doing Viceland. He thought I should go a more traditional route. And we effectively didn't speak for almost four years um, because that was pretty much my life. And, you know, every now and then he'd invite me to play golf or do something. And I just should have said yes instead of being some, like, you don't ever look back on yourself. You're never proud of those type of things. You're never proud 
of how much shit you talked about someone. You're never proud of anger you held against someone. And that's why I say like forgiveness, like it takes time and it's hard to do, but, but do it. It's worth it. You're not going to look back and be proud of holding a grudge. You're not going to be proud of, I went through this breakup and I held on to this pain for so long. Like go to counseling, talk to people, get, go get healing from it. And then go to that person, get resolution and start building again. You'll be proud of that. You'll look back in 10 years, but I'm so glad I did that. But like me and Chris, I found advice and we, it destroyed our relationship. I can't say it. We destroyed our relationship through that process. And when I left, I didn't speak to him for five years. I don't look back on those five years and think, man, I, man, I was living so well. Let me, hey, let me talk about that on this podcast and, and encourage people not to speak to their best friend, roommate, business partner for five years. You don't do that. You stuff it deep down and you kind of, you know, brush it aside when someone brings it up. Thankfully, a friend, a guy named David Gridley, brought us back together. And one near-death experience for me made me realize, like, we got to solve this. And David Gridley brought us back together and we hashed it all out. And that was one of the biggest rewarding things of the, the whole trip. And now, like, last month, Chris and I summited the Grand Teton together. The big titty. <laughs> as it's as it's known. Um, hey, I'm just translating. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I'd encourage you uh, with conflict or when someone does you wrong, the challenge that, that I have for everyone who hears this is that the ball's in your court. I don't care. I don't care if they did you wrong. Like, one of y'all's gonna expire, and you're gonna wish that relationship had had was tied up and was clean, and that you didn't have whatever you're holding against it. So that's probably the, my biggest thing for anyone. Um, and what I felt like that trip really helped me do was make those phone calls and talk to people and kind of realize that. And when I got done with the trip, I was like. Lord, take me now because I feel like all my accounts are are settled and even, and I, I can I can check out. Uh, yeah. Heck yeah. More fun, lighthearted segment here. Life Hacks brought to you by Kyle Larson, my friend from college. Um, what is your life hack in general? The greatest life hack there is is, is the simplest thing in concept and very hard to do. But it's remember someone's name. That will do more for your life than any time-saving bio, whatever you want to call it. Just remember someone's name when they introduce themselves. Non-self-help book everyone needs to read. I got a lot of those. I recommend not reading self-help books. Ditto. Don't waste your time. Or just read the first five pages. Because the next 200 are the exact same thing. Yeah. uh, I find myself um, drawn to autobiographies and fiction uh, a lot more. And and stories of of adventure or like big challenges overcome or big challenges not overcome in the challenge one. Um, I really like uh, probably my favorite book right now 
and definitely my favorite by a living author is The Sun by Philip Meyer. I might be pronouncing his last name correct. I think he's the best living author. Uh, it's incredible. And he follows a family from 1812 to, well, 1811 to 2011. And it's fiction, but it's historical fiction. So I'd recommend everyone read that. You'll learn a lot about life in that one. And um, you got to read one of the big trilogies. I recommend Lord of the Rings, uh, and then the Cimmerillion. Yes. And then I would really go off the wall, you know, got the trilogy aside, got the best living author. I would read two books. One is East of Eden, mm. best character explanation. Be- best, he does, you'll never see characters Steinbeck. like that. Yeah. He's just, his character development, incredible. It's a masterpiece. Um, hold on. That second book's coming. I started thinking about Steinbeck and I lost. Oh, say, you, should, you should read something that doesn't make you happy. So any Hemingway novel. Oh, yeah. I recommend The Sun Also Rises. I also have a song that's probably coming out soon that's based on The Old Man in the Sea. So you should read that after listening to my song like a thousand times on repeat at night. <laughs> um, Tim, Wait, I, one last book. One last book. Yeah. The Sea Wolf by Jack London. Yeah. That was supposed to be a sea wolf. That was, was a like sexy a cat sound. <laughs> yeah, baby. I mean, I know we're in the van, the shaggy wagon, but damn. Uh, uh, how do you find your books? My number one way to find them is through conversations with my friend Cheeto, who's also the editor of a book I've written. That's a nickname, right? It's a nickname, but I live by nicknames, man. Uh, Kale, yeah. And uh, apparently, my nickname is the Kale Man now. <laughs> oh man, foodie. Um, usually through him, he's like, "You should read this book." He's the one person in my life. If he tells me to read a book, I'm just gonna do it. He actually gave me a book today, uh, anthology of, of poems written by the same guy who wrote Legends of the Fall, which is actually a short story turned into a movie. So, yeah, I also don't watch too many movies, and so I'm my preferred method of ingesting ingesting is is reading. Nice. What is an album everyone should listen to from start to finish? Uh, new one is is uh, Mike Posner, a real good kid. Is that his new album or one of his older ones? That's his new one. And he it's such a personal thing. I was amazed. He um, was a pop star and kind of saw himself as a one-hit wonder. And then came, his dad passed away and he tried some other things and then he wrote this album and it is vulnerable and real. And after he did this, he's walked across America. And so I would recommend that album. Yeah. Um, and then any album by Jason Isbell. Something more than free. One of those guys. He's the best songwriter. Watch it. Not sitting in this van. Oh, I was gonna say Taylor Swift, but thank you. Well, she's on her own level. I I'm in agreement. I'm she's untouchable. Isabel's is really good though. I'm well, they're different. It's apples it's and oranges. Different. Yeah. I mean, she's she wants people to dance to some of her stuff. He's not worried about that. No, he is not. Um.
trying to think of a fun question. If you had to be ridden into battle by any animal, what animal would ride you into battle? Reversal rolls. If it's riding me, I'd want it to be like a mouse or something small. But then you're going to lose. I, I'm confident in my ability to to battle. And they'll be like, this guy has a fucking mouse on his shoulder. He's crazy. They're like eagles. It, no, I got this mouse. It has a little helmet with a nose guard, and it lets me move. It's like Reaper Cheap, but mouse version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> Um, okay, one piece of advice you've given a lot, but parting piece of wisdom to Malin or anyone else considering doing something crazy. We know Malin is. P- hopefully, maybe, probably not. Okay, I'm gonna re-say that. <laughs> uh, parting piece of wisdom sponsored by Malin Lender from Tim Fells for anyone considering doing something they've always wanted to do or something that's more recently on their heart and brain. Exercise gratitude. It's it's a muscle. You're going to have to learn how to exercise it. But if you're trying to do something that's bigger than yourself, it's going to take people other than yourself. And you're not always going to be able to pay them. And even if you are, you're going to need to pay them more than money. And gratitude is something you're going to learn that will take you further if it's genuine. But learn to exercise it and not just, hey, thanks, man, or a text, thanks, but looking someone in the eye and saying thank you. When you did this, it meant this to me. And there's a few times over the past 10 years, but really in the past three, where I, I looked at someone in the eyes and I said, I, I'm I can't fully express my gratitude, but I want you to know you have no clue what it means to me. And with tears in his eyes, he said, no, I do. I know exactly what it means to you. And write thank you notes. Tell people thank you. Like exercise that muscle as much as you do your creative muscles or whatever you're doing. Like do it. And if you can't thank someone today, you're never going to make it. So like, when you finish listening to this, write down 10 people you need to thank and thank them. Thank you for <laughs> joining us, Tim. <laughs> You're welcome, Brandon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Live My Dream podcast with my amazing guest, Tim Fells. If you want to meet up with Tim, you can find his info in the show notes right below. And I'm sure he would love to do that or at least have a chat. I personally am definitely down. And you can find my info in the show notes as well or at Brendan Abernathy on Instagram or at my website, www.babernathy.com. Next week, we'll be back with Daniel Blake. Daniel and I will be discussing consulting and how he's living the dream even though he's not in his dream job. See you next week. (laughs) Oh,